0: What's up everybody? Welcome back to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs where we talk all the P's of pelvic health. Pooping, peeing, pleasure, pain, physical activity, personal development. I am your host Dr. Jocelyn Conley, pelvic floor physical therapist and founder of The Vagina Doc and I am super excited to share today's episode with you guys. Just a little update, I don't think I ever mentioned this on the podcast maybe I have but I've been writing a book and I've been doing this while treating clients full-time and also creating content for the business for the private practices that I work for and my own social medias and um, all the while I have I meal prep everything breakfast lunch and dinner on Saturday or Sunday. Because if I don't, I won't eat or I will eat crap. And I am a provider that strongly believes in practicing what I preach. Nothing frustrates me more than going to a provider that tells me to do something and they clearly are not following their own advice. So I took a step back and took a look at my life and I asked myself, what could I leverage or what could I delegate so that I am able to continue working out plus all the cognitive tasks that come along with my work and then also writing this book and while I love eating well I absolutely despise thinking about what I'm going to eat and then I despise even more making it all Sometimes I like it, but I'm just not in that chapter in my life. So we are connected with a, two wonderful ladies, that they're, and those ladies are who I am bringing on the show today, Jenna and Rachel from Tailored Bites. And those ladies are the ones that are behind my now diet. And not only do they plan my meals, but I have them make them at least two of three meals daily and then i fill in the snacks and the breakfast and let me just tell you that while it's an investment my life has been exponentially better and i have just as i thought about this i'm like okay if i can have more energy to think about the most like what's the main thing and focus on that then it'll all work out and it totally has and I'm making it and, and I'm making it work so I my light I, I mean my energy is just it doesn't like peak and plummet peak and plummet like it used to it's just pretty steady all day I'm pretty high energy and it stays high energy until I'm ready to go to bed and that's an amazing place to be so I wanted to sh- bring them on for them to share their story, and then talk about really important, talk about things that you guys would, I think, would enjoy. So, let me just give you a little bit background on Rachel and Jenna. Rachel uses an integrative and a functional approach in the nutrition treatment and counseling that she provides her clients. She has her master's, and she's a registered dietitian, and um, she understands that each one of us is unique in our Genetic makeup, as well as our life experiences that impact our nutrition and health status. And I can definitely attest to that. She specializes in areas of chronic disease prevention and management, women's health, including hormone balance and pre and postpartum nutrition, disordered eating patterns, digestive health, plant based nutrition, and weight management. She had in her bio, she Puts that weight management is facilitated through health promoting behavior change, not restricting energy. So, not cutting the calories, which I totally love because we all know that cutting and eliminating just doesn't work. Replacing and changing overall behavior ha- patterns is much more effective. And then Jenna is also a registered dietitian and she's also a personal trainer. She is Passionate about empowering individuals to reach health goals they never thought possible. She acknowledges that the first step can be the hardest and has seen in her own health journey as well as others that she's worked with that little by little, a little becomes a lot. I love that. No matter if it's weight management, improving health conditions like. Blood pressure issues, diabetes, breaking the cycle of over and under eating, or even challenging poor body image. Jenna believes that transformation occurs from the inside out. Jenna works to help each person learn the power of nutrition while strengthening their relationship with food and their body. Longevity and sustainability are core values in creating a healthy lifestyle, and the approaches individualized for every unique person and their needs, desires, and or health concerns. It was really fun chatting with both of them. And um I just want to give you a heads up. Sometimes the the sound is a little iffy on on um because of environmental things going on in the background. So I apologize for that. But otherwise, I mean, we could have talked forever. The three of us hearing their stories and and I mean, I could relate to them so well and I know that a lot of you will be able to too. So what, what we chat about in today's episode is they share their stories and then the main meat of the conversation is what mistakes people are making around food and what they can do about it. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Check out the show notes for ways to reach ta- uh, Jenna and um, Rachel at Tailored Bites, they are located in Phoenix, in Paradise Valley specifically, but they do offer online counseling and as well as meal prep services. Many different ways to work with them. Before we dive in, don't forget our disclaimer. The information shared in this podcast is for information and educational purposes only and should not be used in substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So let's get on to today's show, which was recorded several weeks ago. So before I recorded this, I had not started my, um, my journey with them. So it was filmed a little bit ago. I hope you enjoy. See you at the end. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm super excited to have you on. How's it going? It's going
1: really good. And thank you so much for having us. (laughs) How are you, Jenna?
0: I'm so good.
2: I so appreciate you having us on today. We're super excited to be here.
1: I am sorry that I
0: declined the invite to do it in person. I think I did. I I said, let's do it Zoom because I wanted to get the recording of it all. Oh, in the mic situation. Yeah. as much as I like when you guys come in, this will be great to have this recording. So thank you again. We're, we're all located in Phoenix, but we're opting to do the virtual zoom. So let's just start. Uh, whoever wants to go first can go first. Tell us your story. Like, how did you get into what you do now when it like, and it could be like, what relationship did you have with food growing up that you decided to go into dietetics and then with tailored bites,
1: do you want to go first, Jenna, or I'll
0: let you lead the way
1: since you're okay. the you're the leader over there at Tailored
2: Bites. You can okay. Lead the way.
1: So yeah, yeah. So um, well, I'm a registered dietitian, and I think like food has honestly been a huge part of my life ever since a young young girl. Um, I have four sisters, grew up in a Italian home, so food was just like at the root of everything. Uh, My mom is a stay at home mom. So she cooked lots and lots of meals for us. But my mom also has, she still does have an eating disorder, um, anorexia nervosa. And so a lot of focus in the household growing up was always on like what we look like, our appearance, um, weights, and there was a lot of dieting that went on in the household. And then myself, um, so a lot of my sisters were cheerleaders, pretty active and stuff. I wasn't or I didn't really get into sports too much And so, and I definitely think that my family, probably more so on my dad's side, has a genetic component for the obesity factor. And of course, the lawn guys are coming right now and it's probably going to be loud. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, Happens all the time. I know I might have to like try and move to a different spot. I cannot believe it. But anyways, so it was just... There was a lot of focus on appearance, weight, just a lot of surrounding food, um, and then my mom, because she had her, put so much value on appearance and on weight, and because I struggled with weight as a child, because I do think our family has that gene, and then I was more of a sedentary child, and then she always had me on diets, which, We know, you know, for sure now that most of the time, whenever we are on diets that typically causes like binge type reactions where we're overeating or doing things like that. And then that causes shame. And then we end up in this kind of cycle that we don't get out of. So I remember growing up, like she always had me on diets. I'd be hiding in the pantry, eating little Debbie's doing stuff like that. So it just, and then I developed, of course, my own disordered eating that kind of came from that, uh, went down a whole slew of other, like obsessive compulsive type related things and um, ended up in kind of a bad spot, but then got pregnant with my daughter. And whenever I had her, I it was almost like my lens had kind of been cleared from a lot of the um, messages that had been ingrained in my head from my mom and not, and I love my mom so much. And, you know, like there's no hard feelings or anything like that. I'm grateful for my experience because it's made me who I am today. And, you know, so, but just kind of, it wiped it clear. And I was like, I don't ever want my daughter to feel like she's imprisoned by this. Like this has, you know, my appearance or anyone's appearance really has nothing to do with their worth. Like it's just, and then I think at the same time, I started doing a lot more self-care things. And I was really overweight after I had my daughter. I was at my highest at 215 pounds because it was just like this kind of cascade of things that just kept happening. And same thing like with dieting, we know most of the time like dieting just actually leads you to gain weight over time, you know, it can maybe help you to lose weight in that first part. But if we're constantly doing that, we're just pretty much training the body to become more like adaptive to what we're giving it. Right. So um, I ended up getting really, really heavy. So I started like doing more like lifestyle stuff, started paying a little bit more attention to what I was putting in my body. I was actually going to school for social work at the time. Um, just started doing like physical activity and stuff like that. And then I was like, started noticing how much that was having a positive effect on just my mental well being as well as I was st- Starting to lose weight and just feel better. I had actually been diagnosed with PCOS at that time, had pretty bad depression, anxiety, postpartum depression for sure, um, pre-diabetic. So just a lot of stuff going on because of just lifestyle decisions and stuff like that. Um, but I started noticing after implementing some of this stuff, how much better I felt. And then I started thinking about social work and how I felt more like I was going to be on kind of the cleanup end of things. Like it wasn't a proactive view of stuff. It was more reactive and just helping someone to kind of, you know, deal with their situations and stuff like that. So I ended up switching over to nutrition and dietetics and um, kind of went that way. And just like little by little have just retrained my brain. And I know it's getting so loud. So I'm going to mute myself and let Jenna talk for a second. How
0: about that? Thank you, Rachel. Well, I have questions for you, but I'm sure they'll probably like blend with Jenna's. So yeah, Jenna, tell us your story. All right. So, wow. When I think about just
2: like my relationship with food and how I got into nutrition, it's so complicated. So I'm gonna try to like, ooh, bring it down (laughs) to to a shorter time. But growing up, I don't remember thinking a lot about food. We didn't really have rules in our house and um, I don't know. We just weren't really that worried about it. I was always an active kid. And I do remember little things that my mom would say, cause like my mom and dad were always kind of yo-yo dieters and, you know, they did the low carb and the no carb and the abkins and all these things. Um, and that wasn't until I was probably a little bit older that I noticed, but I do remember my mom maybe making comments like, you know, um, I just don't want you to turn out like me, you know? And that came from a space of like, she wanted to make sure that we didn't have to yo-yo diet and kind of go with those struggles. So I I see it very, um, I know what you've meant, but I think I took that so seriously. I'm a very literal person. So if my mom told me not to do something, it was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know? Um, so anyway, as, as time went on, I think just that junior high age where junior high is just hard. I mean, who here like loves junior high, (laughs) the awkward stage and all that stuff. So I think that's kind of where like the self hate or the self doubt sort of thoughts began. I don't remember having too many thoughts about my body, but I definitely started to notice it as I got older, you know, Oh, like I'm a little bit chunkier in the stomach or, you know, like the very normal part of puberty. Um, and it made me feel uncomfortable. I was always like a dancer as a child and pretty active and never struggled with weight. But I started to notice, oh, my stomach's a little softer or a little, you know, different. And so definitely by high school, I had started um, just eating disorder behaviors. Um, I began restricting and was just had this mindset of I just want to be skinny at all costs. I didn't care what it meant. I didn't recognize what I was doing. Nobody knew. Uh, I was pretty good at hiding it. Again, I just didn't think much of it. So I pretty much went all through high school with a very restrictive uh, eating disorder. I mean, you could call that anorexia. I was never diagnosed. Uh, Looking back, I probably could have been, but I just never told anyone and I don't know. So that was tough. After that, I graduated high school and went to college. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I thought, well, I just want to do something that's going to make me the most money. <laughs> so I started out with business and one semester in thought this is not going to work. So I switched over to nutrition. I'm not even sure how that came into my mind, but really with a pretty negative intention, I thought, oh, if I go into nutrition, I'm going to learn the perfect diet, which means I will always be skinny. <laughs> I just thought it was the perfect idea. So I get into my first nutrition class and I remember my teacher really talking about like balance and moderation and variety. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? You can eat that, you know? So I was pretty shocked. It went against a lot of the things that I had believed in high school or, you know, when I was more in this restrictive mindset. So I kind of went through college just hoping that I would learn the perfect diet and be skinny forever. And I got to the end of my like senior year or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do nutrition, but I'm too far in, but I don't know. And I was just kind of in this panic mode because I didn't, I loved it, but I didn't love it probably because it was like fighting against some of my beliefs. So anyway, too far in, had to grow, had to finish. So got my degree and ended up getting an internship, uh, at Pepperdine. University in Malibu. You're and kidding.
0: Oh my it gosh. That am- was
2: amazing. That amazing. place is,
0: is it even like, how is that even real? How can people go there and go to class?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Dream come true right there. So I was so excited. But anyway, my, my internship director had the most amazing relationship with food. And here at this time, I guess I should throw in there. I, during college kind of um, struggled with just like, I didn't want to eat all day. So I'd like minimally eat, not as restrictive as before, but like, you know, maybe have the tiniest little breakfast and a small little lunch. Well, by like three o'clock I'm starving. And then it would just kind of be like this snack attack in the afternoon. Um, not like binging, but just I'm hungry. And so kind of went through that weird disordered pattern. Um, and after college, when I moved to California for my internship, I had started my fitness journey. So then this all gets wrapped in. Um, And so anyway, back to my internship director, she had such a healthy relationship with food and really inspired me. Like the way she talked about things, she's like, I'm a vegetarian, but I don't really like to be so strict about it. I like to just be flexitarian. And if I'm out to dinner and I feel like having chicken, I will, and if I want fish, I will. But like, she didn't have a label, I thought it was amazing. And she had us read a book called Intuitive Eating. I think the, the author is Evelyn Triboli, is that right, Rachel? Yeah. So she, yes. um, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So Evelyn yeah. D- wrote a book called Intuitive Eating, and it's such an interesting book. And I remember reading it during my internship and getting so angry. Like, no, you know, she talks about like ditching the diet mentality, all this stuff. I'm like, it's not possible. It's not possible. So anyway, long story short, I uh, was still in my fitness journey, went through my internship, and I started learning about macros and counting macros because now I was getting into bodybuilding. Um, I had a bodybuilding coach, and I didn't have an intention of competing, but I just wanted to feel good. I was so tired of just this like dieting cycle, and I'll start again Monday. You know, it was just, I wanted to just feel good. And After about seven and a half months, I felt so good tracking macros. And I decided that I wanted to compete and I had learned that I could eat foods that I never thought I could and reach my goals. So I remember sitting there, I'll never forget the day that I ate pancakes for breakfast. And I was like, this is Mm -hmm. part of like my plan. Like this is part of my, I'm going to like, and I look really good. And I have a six pack, you know, (laughs) like don't anymore disclaimer. But at the time I was, you know, prepping for a show and I thought, how am I eating pancakes? I have a body that I love. I feel so good about it. And so anyway, it was such a great learning journey. Um, but my eating disorder kind of snuck back in during that time. And I got kind of obsessed with the, the idea of macros and being perfect on the numbers and obsessing about them. And then that turned into, Oh, I didn't follow my numbers because I went off and now I should just binge because I already ruined my day. So might as well, you know, have all the things that I'm not allowed to have. and we will start again tomorrow, be strict tomorrow, you know, do extra cardio, whatever it is, became a very, very negative relationship um, with food. And so, you know, that kind of went on for a while. The story is so long. I could just bore you all to death, but <laughs> um, and I competed for about two years. I did uh, seven shows, eight shows, yeah, in two years. It was a lot of shows. Um, by my first year, I was very obsessive, kind of in that mindset I was telling you about. And um I idolized this like lean body. I just wanted to be lean and strong, right? I didn't want to be skinny, but I wanted to be lean. And I thought that I could maintain that forever. Well, that's not so realistic. Um, so 2017 was actually the year that I made a shift in my mindset. I actually had um, a breast augmentation, which meant I had to stop working out. And it changed everything for me because I was idolizing it. I was idolizing fitness. I was idolizing food. And like for that six weeks, I had to really let go of the reins and I'm very big in my faith. And so I really had to surrender to, um, God and, and realize that my identity was not in bodybuilding, but it was as a child of God. And so it was a very powerful six weeks for me. And I really shifted the way that I did fitness that year. And I focused on, um, love wins. And it was just all about other people. And I tried to take it away from this selfish mentality. The binging stopped. I had such a great relationship with food. I was like a week out from a show. My cousin's like, are you competing next weekend? I'm eating out to lunch with her. I'm like, yeah, we're good. You know, it was just such an amazing year. Fast forward 2018. This is where it's going to go down here really quick. Um, 2018, my words were open and free falling. January 1st, I was at the beach and those were my two words after I was done praying. Needless to say, I started out really strong, you know, I was like so into these words and just so, you know, believing that things were happening and I, bodybuilding was kind of on the side because I just didn't feel like it was the right time for me. And um, in May of that year, I fell into um, a depression, which I had never experienced before in my life. Um, so bad that I didn't want to live anymore. And then by June or July, I was diagnosed officially with an eating disorder. Um, my eating disorder had snuck back in during that first couple months of 2018 and just got very restrictive, more of the orthorexia, which is, um, if people aren't aware of that, it's basically like a hyper obsession with healthy eating. And so the intention's good, right? Like I'm just trying to be healthy and clean, um, but it turns into a very unhealthy uh, habit. And then from there, it turned into more of the anorexia again, because everything just kept getting more restrictive. So by September, I was actually uh, admitted to a treatment center in California. I was there for five months. It was a really long time, a really, really hard five months, but I learned a lot. And yeah, then I came home and was just really focused on recovery for a really long time. And last year had in May had such an amazing uh, mindset coach tell me, just want you to know that your, your, your eating disorder is just an experience in which you lived and not who you are. That was the most amazing, powerful thing I ever heard because we've like, go back. I told you that it started in high school and it was about 12 years that I had lived with this eating disorder. And it's, who I was, you know, when I went to treatment, it's two years and just focusing on recovery. That's all I knew. And so for her to say, like, it's just an experience in which you lived was so powerful. And I really felt the chains break that day. And I was able to kind of move forward and step back on stage in 2020. It was my first show in three years, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, my relationship with food is not perfect and it's still a journey. And it's much better, right. You don't have fear around food or any of that, but there's, you know, still those like coping skills of where we overeat or, you know, just, we crave the things that we want and we feel like, Oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to eat that. Or I shouldn't have had that much. And then there's guilt
0: and shame. So I'm still doing work, but that's kind of all of it. Sorry.
2: It was so long.
0: <laughs> wow. That, that quote, your eating disorder is an experience in which you live, not who you are. could be a famous quote whoa (laughs) so true though man that hit that hits that probably hits home for for a lot of people definitely I don't I I don't I don't think I've ever had an eating disorder I disordered eating but like not from the same probably psychological realm as I mean I just hated my mom's cooking and so I threw it away (laughs) and ate Oreos I was addicted to sugar I so, but wow, I have, oh. I have qu- questions for both of you. Cause you have different stories. So Rachel, it, if I heard you, right. It came from your mom, your mom had the eating disorder. You had disordered eating patterns, Yeah. but did, did you, you didn't have an eating disorder.
1: I was never or- diagnosed, but like I don't, there's, you know, there's plenty of like binging, plenty of using like laxatives, over-exercising, under-eating, like there's, it's, yeah, I was never diagnosed, but I would, I would likely say I'm sure that I had one or, but definitely disordered eating for sure, disordered eating patterns and yeah.
0: So my first question for, I mean, for both of you, I know, jenna that you had i it was clear that you had a role model in there the the intern in your internship now sometimes i ask myself questions like how the hell did i get where i am like who in the world made me uh confident enough to get here today uh with all of the you know crap that i experienced growing up and um so for you, being that your are that was what you grew up with, ha- seeing this, ex- your mom having an eating disorder, How, did you have a role model that helped show you that there's another way
1: I honestly think most of it came from schooling, like at ASU and stuff. So most of my family all lives in Ohio. I moved out to Arizona uh, probably like 17 years ago. And I think that too, just kind of disassociating because it's not just me. My other four sisters have all kinds of, you know, disordered eating pattern type things and struggle with weight and just all kinds of stuff. So it's, and I would say that I am probably the most healed from all of that out of everyone and so I'm out here in Arizona now so I think the distance was definitely part of it and then my schooling and then just me as a person and just you know like and I think my daughter of just like I need to make this better because I again like it's a literal prison and I'm sure if anyone listening like in your you've experienced this you know like that's exactly how it feels in you to every thought like comes back to how i look or every thought comes back to what i'm putting in my mouth like that's just like obsessively thinking about something and you're wasting so much time and energy that you could otherwise be spending on like just giving back to the world in other ways and stuff like that and i just like i think honestly my daughter has been my biggest motivation for everything just because i I don't want to pass things down to her that and I know it's inevitable, like I can't control all of that. And I have to always tell myself, you're only human, Rachel, like, don't get over obsessive about healing either, right? Because then I'm just in healing land, and I'm not living. So it's like, but at the same time, I have to do my part to make this world a better place. And that starts with me and you know how Mm -hmm. I feel about myself and, and what I do. So I think, Uh, that's probably like a mixture of that is probably what's really helped me to, to get out of that and get away from that. And, you know, then just continuing to work in this realm and in this profession and being able to sit and talk with clients and patients about these same struggles helps to keep me on that path moving forward too. You know, like, I don't think sometimes clients and patients understand how much they really like give back to us with all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. So part, what I heard, was a lot of it was school, like learning on your own a different way and then your daughter. So Jenna, besides that person, the, your, w- was it your mentor during your internship? It was my internship director. Okay. Internship director. It was there anyone else? Yeah, for sure. I would say that she was the first one, uh, that I was
2: shocked by, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind of just whoa she's different, you know, and very curious. And that kind of opened opened the door for me. I would say after that, um, my clients were huge because even though I was really struggling for a while, while I was working as a dietitian and I didn't know, I can look back now and realize that I was teaching the whole time about food freedom. And it's so funny now that I can look back and and see what I was teaching them. And, and I was protecting them from fear of food. I was protecting them from experiencing what I was experiencing because Rachel hit it on the head, like living that way is absolute prison. I felt so stuck. I felt so, I did not know how to get out. I didn't think I could, I didn't think I thought I was going to die with it for sure. Um, so my clients and my patients, 100% were a big, um, motivator for me. Cause I realized a lot that I was teaching was what I wanted to apply to my own life. Um, and then the second big one, especially after I was aware of my struggle, um, was knowing that it wasn't about me. So, because again, of like my faith and what I feel God has called me to do, I just kept reminding myself, Jenna, this is not about you even, even just one person that you could help because of your story. That's what this is about. And so I would forget that some days, but that was my driving factor.
0: Wow. It seemed like when you told your story that it like the aha moment happened pretty quick, quickly. And once you had that awakening you were able to turn things around and that's interesting i don't i mentioned to you guys when you came over that i had a tanning addiction in college and addictions definitely run into my family that was for sure one uh, that was mine and uh i stopped cold turkey out of nowhere and and no tr- i don't have like no desire to go in a tanning bed but it turned into being outside when I first was in Arizona, but I since have not, uh, have that isn't a thing anymore. I mean, I, I can't, I do go in the sun, but it's not like, you know,
1: because you need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Attention is, is different. Yeah.
0: Right. So the, I, another question that I have for you guys is what triggers you? Cause it, we know that these things don't go away. And we're, and there's no end to, yes, we're living, but we're continuously g- growing. How do you, and, and it's not just all up. It's not all sunshine once you do right. overcome the thing. So what, what are your triggers is my first question. And then I know you kind of already answered this, both of you, but what's your why to, how do you get back on track?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think triggers for me, I think is typically like stress related or, you know, like even kind of loneliness or like, so my daughter and my daughter's, my daughter's father and I split up probably six or seven years ago. So I have her during the week and then she goes to her dad's on the weekend. And if, and that's kind of a big part of starting tailored bites was because I wanted to be able to work a lot on the weekends and then have a little bit more flexibility during the week whenever i have her and but on the weekends whenever i'm not working like and other maybe like mothers who don't have access to their kids all their time would maybe know how this feels but it's like this emptiness and i can't explain it really other than like i don't feel complete and this has been a long time that i she isn't with me all the time but it still is something that like i just I don't know, like, she's not there. And so I think some, like, I notice more my binge type behaviors or things like that will come back more on like, say a weekend, or whenever I have more time, or I'm alone, or, you know, and then of course, like the stress, I mean, I run a food service business. So there's plenty of stress that like goes on. And that is just like you said, like, we can be aware, we can be awakened to the fact of what we need to change or what, you know, what, what's going to help us to be better, but that still takes work and it's constant work and it's daily work. And sometimes I get tired of doing the damn work. If I'm being honest, you know, and I just want to be like, oh, yeah. you know what, the, it's tired. not, it's not today, not today. I'm, I'm just letting it go. So it's the, it, it, you're right. Like it's not in Jenna, you know, like you mentioned, like, it's not like, it's, it's something that is just continuously working on, but I think stress and loneliness are probably my two biggest triggers. And then my why is definitely, I think just my daughter, but also like just thinking too, like back to how far I have come. And, you know, like sometimes if like, instead of like getting hyper-focused on, cause it's real easy to get back down that Kind of negative tunnel whenever you make a decision that you know was not the best decision. And so we can start spinning out of control on that or focus on the positive and just think back to like all the progress and the steps that I have made forward. And so I think always coming back to that and then just I think the accountability of owning a nutrition business and being the face of it, like if I'm being honest, that's a big piece of it, too. Like I want to lead by example, and I know that that's not possible all the time you know and that we're all human and stuff like that but for the most part I want to set the example because I feel like that's how people like you can tell someone to do something all you want but most of the time people are watching you and they're just seeing what you're doing and so I want to be a good example for the world and that I think is like what kind of keeps me coming back too how about you Jenna I love that Rachel thanks yeah. for sharing sure. yeah yeah I think for me,
2: my biggest triggers, um, very similar to Rachel, but I would say my biggest one is perfectionism. That's something that has kind of driven my life for a really long, really long time was perfectionism, performance and expectation. Those are kind of my three words. And I've used them against myself because they could be positive things, right? But I've used them against myself. And so those ones are really hard for me because Um, again, I like to practice what I preach. I like to be an example for people. I like to be a leader. And, um, I also put that expectation on myself of Jenna, you have the knowledge, you know what to do. You have to do it. Right. It goes back to even that childhood thing, right? Like if, if someone tells you to do something, you just do it. If you know, it's the right thing. And so I beat myself up when I make, um, a quote unquote wrong decision or bad decision. Right. Um, and that turns into this, the shame cycle, which just really pushes me into self-sabotage. And so that's a huge trigger for me, um, is when I just, I get stuck in that perfectionism. And then of course, like Rachel said, just, I'm not very good at at, um, managing stress sometimes. And so I like to pretend and everything is good. And I'll like hold it all in until boom, you know, (laughs) it crashes. I know that so many people, when I say that they're like, Oh my gosh, me too. So it's a common thing. And so I'm trying to learn, like, I love the analogy of like a soda bottle, you know, and you shake it up and you have to like twist like slow and then close it and then slow and then close it. So I need to, to learn that practicing. Um, so yeah. And then the loneliness, right? If no one's home and there's food, right? And it could just fill a void, but it's so short term, right? It just, it fills that void for a second. And then I'm kind of bummed that I did it. Um, and my why is definitely, I love self-development. So for my own personal self, I love self-development. And for me, like my fitness, health, bodybuilding journey, um, I call it life building, So bodybuilding is life building is faith building, right? Like it's this full thing. Like it bleeds out. It's more than just fitness. It's more than just food. It's all about creating a life. And I learned so much through all these experiences. and, And then with that, I feel like I can be my best and therefore I can show up and share it with my clients or patients and I get to see them thrive. And that brings me so much joy when I see people reaching their goals or just feeling so proud of themselves because they've made a change that they feel good about. That like fuels my fire. I love it.
0: So you, Rachel, you shared that your triggers like the loneliness and stress, right? And then Jenna, you're, it was the perfectionism, the performance, and all that. I can relate to all of that. 100% and I kind of like with with what I do with peeing during workouts like there are some days where I just don't want to be intentional I don't want to think I don't want to so I, I am I'm aware of it and I just let it happen and I think that awareness helps you get back on track would you guys agree with that but um for sure and I, yeah it's like having a why is so huge. So like what, that's the first question I ask when people come in on their initial evaluations, like you didn't come in here because you're peeing yourself. You've been peeing yourself for 10 years. Right. <laughs> it's impacting your life in some sort of way. So let's f- dig deeper and figure that out. And, and then, because if we don't do that, we're not going to figure out how to get you out of it because when people take it, when we take one step forward, it's almost inevitable that we're going to take two steps backwards, but it's continuous, like forward progression. If you take a step back and take a look at it. So guys, thank you so much for sharing those personal details about your life. I know at least, I think a lot of people want to know that we're real humans. And so hearing that we're, it was not all easy for us and it still isn't easy for us is helpful. And yeah. And Even though it looks like we're always together, like with our food or with my pelvic health, it's not that. It's not the case. So let's let's dive in to some of the things that people have asked me, or the reason why I really wanted you to bring on the show. The first thing is, what are some of the common mistakes that you guys see people making Mm -hmm. with their, with how they approach their I hate to say diet, but how they approach food. Yeah,
2: I actually made a pretty big list. I was kind of excited for for it. it. (laughs) Um, and, And when you say diet, Jocelyn, like that is actually a word that society has changed. Diet just means the way you eat, and so that's not even a bad word to use, but we, our society has kind of made it that way. So we're like, Ooh, should I say diet? Should I not, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just the way that we eat. So I try to like, just take the, try to neutralize it for a lot of people. Cause it does kind of have a negative or iffy feel, um, but common mistakes I find. So I'm just going to kind of list a few and maybe we can go deep deeper. Um, and these are ones that I sometimes do too, but eating for taste or convenience versus nutritional needs. So it's so easy to just be like, well, this is easier. I just really feel like this taste versus like, what does my body actually need? Um, and that's a big one. Do you want me to go into that or do you want me to kind of list off the few and then we can go,
0: let's list them off and then we'll, we'll dive deeper into the juicy ones. They're all going to (laughs) be juicy. So, all right. Yeah. So eating
2: for taste and convenience versus nutrition,
0: um, our ratio
2: of fun foods to nourishing foods. So again, for my own self and for a lot of people I work with, I don't like the good and bad foods. I just feel like those words don't help us. So I try to use fun versus, versus nourishing. And what's our ratio, you know, are we 60, 40 you know, where are we at? I just, I like to be aware of that. Not being aware of hungerfulness cues is huge for a lot of people skipping meals and then overeating later, um, snack choices. So again, when I do a lot of teaching, one of my favorite words is nutritional gaps. And so snacks should fill nutritional gaps, but a lot of times we just want a snack that tastes good. So we don't really care what it is, but, uh, snacks are usually a pretty big issue. And then drinking calories. That's another really common one, kind of like skims the surface, right? That's a pretty basic one, but I find that, Sometimes people are like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, I'm not losing weight. And then we find their coffee had like 500 calories.
0: <laughs> right.
2: It was just a coffee, but yes. it matters. Oh, yeah. Jenna, Rachel. do you
0: want to add it or Jenna,
1: Rachel, do you want to add any of those? Um, I think just some, she didn't mention we're eating the same thing. So no variety in the diet. I see that a lot. That's a big problem. Um, extreme and restrictive practices, a lot of all or nothing black or white thinking, I think really holds people back with their nutrition, eating too much processed shit is what I have on here. But Jenna already kind of like mentioned that one. And like only the macros thinking, like I see so many people that are just so focused only on macros. And I'm like, there's so much more to your nutrition than just the energy component of it. And not enough dietary fiber is one that I constantly see with most of clients and patients and stuff that we're working with.
0: These are this this is this list is fire so let's pick like three (laughs) to dive into um or we could just talk about all of them for eating for taste and convenience what do you guys think about social eating like people that literally eat out at work and eat out yeah like for dinner they're out traveling but they're like well that's how I hang out with my friends
1: yeah I mean, I'll like answer a little bit and then Jenny can go in and it just like comes down to balance, you know, cause it's not like we're ever expecting anyone to not do that stuff ever. That's not realistic. It's not possible, but you know, whether it is like kind of a thinking of percentages like an 80-20 or whatever. And I do think like as a society, because we are more aware of the impact that food has on our health and stuff now, as opposed to even like say 10 years ago, that push is kind of making it so certain restaurants are starting to include more, you know, healthy things and stuff like that. But at the same time, most of the time it's like so much sodium over oiled, like the portion sizes are out of this world. And so it's just like, it's problematic, especially if that's like someone's normal, you know, routine of how they're eating and they're not, you know, being somewhat strategic whenever they are going out to eat and thinking, okay, well, I better get the steamed vegetable. I want to ask for my dressing on the side. I'm going to put half of this in a box right away. So that way I'm not eating the whole portion. You know, like if you're being mindful and like somewhat strategic, then I think you could possibly get away with it. But that's not the case for for most people. And then like, of course, there's typically alcoholic drinks, which are going to add calories and stuff like that. So I think, you know, I always say, especially like, or talking holidays or stuff like really trying to focus more on the the connection with the other beings that are with you you know like it doesn't always have to be like around food i've been in so many like dinner parties or things where it's just like you just like, there's not even that much conversation. Everyone's just like gluten or gluttony now on just like eating a bunch of stuff, you know? And so it's like, okay, well, if we're getting together because we want to spend time with one another, then let's spend time with one another. Let's just not have this be all about food. So that's kind of my take a little bit.
0: I love that. So the solution is go somewhere, go on a hike or yes, go on a walk many
1: other things go Gosh. do some ceramic pottery or you know yes. like there's there's a lot of other things that we can do with one another like even just sitting in a park in a nice like you are listening to the birds chirp and have an actual conversation with someone you know it doesn't have to be like we don't have to spend all this money on you know like just not non-nutritive food and yeah it's I don't know that's a I guess it right.
0: Okay. So that leads into the, I mean, it kind of leads into the next um, mistake, which would be not having control of the ratio of fun foods to nourishing foods. So is there an optimal ratio? I wouldn't
2: say there's like ever anything that's like, has to be this way or optimal for across the board. Right. But we do have like some umbrella things. So let's say, um, someone comes to me and they're, you know, maybe struggling with, um, a health condition and then we do have to, you know, be a little bit more mindful and I can't just, you know, be too freedom-minded. I have to, I, I do recommend like a ninety ten. So that's, you know, tightening the reins in a little more, but I really want them to focus on like 90% nourishing foods. So ones that are just gonna be providing nutritional value, like Rachel said, like the fiber and the vitamins and the minerals and the protein and whole grain, all the things, right? I'm looking at like a 90% to 10% fun foods. And now that, that percentage can look so different for some people, 10% is like one meal out a week, or they want to have like an Oreo with their lunch, right? Like it can be totally variable, um, to that, that specific person. I would say in general, the 80, 20 is like a very common, um, rule that people talk about like an 80% nourishing foods versus the 20% fun. Again, it's pretty, um, it, that. Ratio can look very like people are like, well, what's 20%. Is that every day? Is that once a week? Is that, you know, I try to avoid letting, I don't like doing, I always want it to be a mindful, even if it's going to be a fun food, can we be mindful about it? You know, Um, I'll give a little sample the other day. I really wanted a cookie. (laughs) Like it sounded so good, like a good one from like chunk cookies. It's like in Arizona, they're bomb. So I was like, well, I can either go get one and like eat it in my car and like feel kind of weird about it. Right. Or I can go get some and like make it an experience, go to my cousin's house, bring them to my nephew and like cut it up and share it, you know? So it, it can be like that where it can just become an experience. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but it, that 20% can just look so different. So that's kind
0: of what that's such a good perspective to, to take on it because really there is. I mean, no, there's no hard and fast rule. And when we talk about hard and fast rules, that's whenever obsessive behaviors start. Exactly. to develop. So, yeah, yeah. And I like making an experience out of it. That's super cool. Rather yeah. than going to crumble cookie and eating all the four on <laughs> your own, which I, <laughs> I will
2: give another really cool example. So I had a patient years ago who had type two diabetes. He was overweight, you know, a lot of things going on heart health wise. And he came to me 80 years old his doctor recommended he see me. Now, when I'm seeing an 80 year old, I'm like, just enjoy life. You know what I mean? But at the same time, he was very like, he was able to move. He was still working. Like he was an amazing 80 year old. So, you know, I gave him my recommendations and I, you know, kind of made comments and he said, well, I eat donuts for breakfast. And I said, okay. And I I probably made a comment like, you know, about the 80, 20 or the 90, 10 rule with him probably. And recommended some different breakfast options. And I remember he came back for his follow-up and he was like, I have a breakfast. I have a donut every Monday. I'm like, I love it. That is absolutely perfect. And you know what? He was consistent. He lost weight. His blood sugars got better. Everything got better. But he had a donut every Monday. That was his routine. And I, I love that. I think it's so cool that that was his 90, 10. He figured out what he wanted to do. That's that's.
0: Adorable. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> all of these mis- mistakes, there's, I mean, we could literally talk for hours on each of these. And I think it's so cool that you had like, Rachel, what you've developed, it seems like all of your services cover any of these needs. So the first being like, well, how do I know what I need? Well, not everyone needs to go and get a college degree. It is okay to ask for help from a professional. So, you you do that. You provide meal plans. You you cook the food for the people. And within your new space, you'll be you'll be uh, at providing classes. So, those are the solutions. And I encourage anyone in the Phoenix area to check Tailored Bites out. But I want to talk about something even deeper than this. Like, how do you know? How does one know whether or not? They're ready to work with someone, like ready or not to take the leap to work with someone on their diet.
1: Yeah, that's, I'll start a little bit, but um, we definitely received some training in our uh, dietetic program for like the stages of behavior change and everything. And so there are definitely, you know, different stages where people are at with regards to behavior change, whether it's just even, you know, I'm aware that this is a problem or um, now I'm aware and maybe I'm taking a few steps to like making this into an actual behavior. And there's more like maintenance where it's not so much work anymore and stuff like that so there's definitely different stages I think it's never too early and it's never too late to reach out to you know just find out more if I know for me like I want to know why like I want to understand and I think what people are typically used to with regards to nutrition or weight loss and stuff is like they go to a personal trainer and the trainer tells them you're going to eat this amount of calories each day and you're going to do this. And they, but they don't teach, they don't, you know, explain to the patient or explain to the client like why they're doing these things. Cause honestly, they probably don't really know. They're just like, oh, I'm going to put them at this calorie amount because this is if I plug this in a calculator with their height and weight, then this is what's going to happen. But whenever you work with a registered dietitian, then like we are educators. That's what we're trained to do. We are trained to educate. So that way you are empowered to know like, okay, I can eat this. I, cause you know what, anybody can eat whatever they want, but you also whenever you understand what's happening i think that that's so much empowerment for the client to be like okay yes i can have this milkshake but i also know that whenever i have this this is what happens to my blood sugar this is what happens to my gi tract or you know whatever everyone's different with regards to how they respond to things but it's i think just knowing or having that education can really help someone to keep that behavior and again just like you said it's like a dance- right? We take one step forward, two steps back, one step forward with any behavior change. So it's not like just because I understand why now that's going to make all the difference in the world, but it does help to just kind of keep. And then I think whenever you're working with a registered dietitian and just like the accountability piece, the, you know, connection, there's definitely a lot of research that supports, you know, having a support system really helps whenever we are trying to make these types of changes. And so, you know, enlisting seen a professional that really understands nutrition and then you and they understand that you are an individual person and you know your body better than anyone else and then you work together to kind of collaborate on that and I'm kind of spinning out here to um, answering your question but I just think there's no right or wrong time it's more just because even if sometimes I feel like patients or clients come and it was more just kind of like a planning the seed consult like they aren't really going to move too forward. But I do think that they heard some of that messaging, right? And then maybe a little bit later down the road, then it'll come back again. And then, you know, I had a really good experience. And, you know, I think that this is something that I really do need to do. And so I don't, I don't think that there's a right or wrong time. I think it's, you know, everyone is just kind of on their own path. And if they're, if you know you are feeling or if there's certain, you know, medical conditions or things that are, you know, decreasing quality of life or and I always like to look at things from a proactive standpoint because I don't want to be in the doctor's office. I don't want to be like, you know, having this stuff happen. And so I think too working with someone so that way you don't end up in the doctor's office so much and you don't have to go to the pharmacy every other week to get medications. And you know, like that's what we're here for. And that's like my main objective with Tailored Bites is to empower people with their nutrition and with their health, for sure. So w-
0: basically what you're saying is it. I mean, y- y- the level of, and I agree totally, the level of training, you screen that out to see people's readiness and your recommendations are going to be based on that. And, you know, it's, it, even if it's just planting the seed for something later on. Now I have a question for you. So let's say, and I'm going to present in a, in a scenario, Let's say that I am, you, and this is a true story. A couple years ago when I left my job um, for about 12, for about a year, I literally just consumed myself into just being busy with work. It was like, I knew what I had to do, had to do like I had to take ma- a massive risk and I just really wasn't ready for it. So I consumed myself from work and then I abused myself with food. I would eat to the point that I was sick, like doubled over and, uh, it just made me like foggy. Oh, I would like just put down three beers and then eat like a jar of peanut butter and half of a package of chocolate chips. I feel horrible, but, I, and that was what I needed. Cause I, I feel great most of the time, but I needed to do that to myself to not work. So n- what would, if I came to you on, on that, that's how, if someone is displaying those types of behaviors, is that something you still continue to work with? You, you work with that person.
1: And I guess to answer for me, like that is, so there's definitely still things nutrition wise that we can talk about and stuff. So I think it's, it's like twofolded. So I think from a, you know, nutrition standpoint, there are definitely things that we could talk about, but also it may be a you know, kind of a case where you would be a referral to um, a psychologist or someone that could really help to kind of get more to the root of what's going on, you know, and it's not that... I don't feel confident to talk with someone about, you know, setting healthy boundaries with regards to work and things like that. That can all be part of a conversation. But at the same time, you know, what is like really driving that? I myself, I get like that too sometimes. Or, you know, I've been in, in periods like that too, where it's just like, I just, you know, dump myself completely into that. And then I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not getting my workouts in, I'm not getting good sleep. And, and then that comes down to like, I need to create these boundaries. And I talk about that with clients and patients all the time, but it also comes to a point and just depending, you know, on each case, like the severity of that as to whether it's like, you know, this patient really needs to, to, to talk with somebody that's, that's their lane, you know, and that, and then that would be a referral out. And then, Hey, you know, once you come back, once things are a little bit more calm, and then we can really focus more on the nutrition aspect and just getting you re-nourished, getting inflammation down in the body and things that have maybe been caused because of those behaviors.
2: Yeah, I think for me, I I do agree with Rachel. There are times where I have had to refer people out, like, hey, you know, I'm feeling that, um, you know, you may benefit from this. And so, let's say they do start out in my chair, you know, I I always want to know the why behind it, right? So it would be more of a conversation, right? If they were just like, oh, this is what I'm I'm eating, I'd be like, okay, let's figure out the why and and see if we could get dig a little bit deeper because I find that. I've learned this so many times. The more people that I meet to talk about nutrition, it gets less and less about the food. And sometimes I'm like, oh, shoot, like I'm the dietitian, you know, I gotta come back to just the food piece. But so much of our food choices are like emotionally driven so often. And especially in a scenario like that, it could be a lack of eating all throughout the day, right? You're working so often. So it would be this conversation of, hey, what would it be like? To change the structure of your day. You know, what if we were consuming, even if it was just three basic meals, I sometimes I like to, I really prefer to squeeze snacks in there so that we don't get hungry. But um, what would it be like to just, could you fit in even three meals? What would that change the course of your evening? Maybe, maybe not right so there there would be some little things that sometimes i would do first or attempt to do and then if if the the follow ups were i was still seeing this pattern where like eh, you know like rachel said it's not really in in my lane then it definitely would require a referral but i think also too for me learning that sharing Cause a lot of times people are afraid to share some of those things like, Oh, I had a jar of peanut butter and so much of this. And so, you know, right. It's like kind of shameful. Cause we, I know for me, I sometimes feel like shame about it. And so just sharing like, Hey, I've been there is really helpful for so many clients. They're like, Oh, you have really,
0: you know, like, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So it sounds like, it, it, I mean, a lot of this and a lot of what I do, it's like, it's never just the pelvic health. It's never just the food. These are all I mean, I think I used food. Food's kind of like a tool. So in some cases, I guess, or, or using food food as a tool, but then it can also be misused and and so on. But we can go on and on and on (laughs) about all those things. Is there a preferred way if anyone has questions how they can reach out to you? What would you say is the best?
1: it's yeah, we're pretty open with communication. There's the phone number, there's email on there. We're real good about responding on Instagram, not as much on Facebook, but it's Instagram definitely. And, um, yeah, I think for me, I don't know, Jenna, if you have any other. Yeah. No, I think that works great. Social media is always the way to go.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Or agree. Call.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm
0: way better when people message me on Instagram than when they text me. Well, thank you ladies so much for agreeing to come on to the show. I definitely want to have you in the future and we'll have to co-collaborate with launch and so on. So we can, 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 can do some of the things that we were talking about before. Uh, did we get real today? I think so. Oh, yes, we did. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you again so much for sharing your stories too. And I cannot wait to bring you guys on again in the future. Thank you all for listening. Until next time with Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs.